I am so happy to have the world's most phenomenal singer, and I say that without any reservation at all, Kim Chandler. It's amazing to have you finally in the hot seat of Radio Richard. So thank you for being here. <laughs> well, today it's very much the hot seat, uh, yeah. given given the fact that, you know, you're there in LA, I'm here in Marbella in southern Spain, and we are in the midst of a heat wave right now, and boy, are we feeling it. Right. Well, you'll be feeling a different kind of heat, or rather my listeners will be feeling a different kind of heat, because I hope you're going to rant on the on the few subjects that I've chosen to uh, <laughs> ask you about. One of the things that people, of course, know about you, but should know about you, is that you're a, not only a phenomenal singer, but you're a phenomenal teacher of singers, and you've coached many, many well-known singers, and you've coached many, many not so well-known singers who, who are nevertheless charming and lovely. The demands of the industry currently, using technology such as auto-tune, Melodyne, Vocaline, all of these things, and the TV contest shows of which you've coached many people for, yeah. Um, and they seem to be won by singers who sing in a certain way and higher and faster licks and all of that stuff. And it yeah. seems to me to have created a kind of a clone voice. In other words, a thing that you have to kind of, okay, this is what you have to do, hit that, do that, and you can get on all these shows and you can do contemporary records which sound a certain way. Now, do singers come to you saying, I want to sound like X? Is that what they generally do? Um, sometimes they do, uh, particularly if they're in the very early stages of their singing career and they feel that um, they can't necessarily rely on their own unique voice. And can I just state from the outset, just to remind everybody that your voice print is as unique as your fingerprints. So every single voice that has ever lived on the planet is utterly unique. Mm. So whilst we have impersonators and impressionists and things like that, that can imitate a voice to a certain level that fools us, it certainly won't fool like spectrographic analysis and things like that. Otherwise, voice activated security um, systems wouldn't work. The reasons that the reason they do work is because we we are utterly unique, each, each one of us. So um, really, um, from my standpoint, it makes kind of no sense to try to sound like somebody else uh, because you really are always going to be best sounding like yourself. And it's it's best to optimize and and develop the best aspects of your own voice, climb your own mountain, develop your own career, and and get to know and love your unique instrument rather than try to copy somebody else's unique instrument, which you'll only ever be second best. Knowing that, how many singers really? want that? Do they want to be unique or do they want to get on those shows? Do they want to get signed because they sound a certain way? It really depends on the person. Because I coach uh, people who live from their singing voices, so they have to either be a professional singer 
which is a jobbing singer doing covers right. gigs and right. recording sessions and things those people don't want to be an artist they just want to you know make a living out of being a um you know a professional singer and that's a, a very much a worthy goal and something i've done myself for <laughs> quite a while now quite a while. Uh, over 30 years and uh, I never wanted to be an artist. It was never, of, never, ever, ever on my my radar. Radar, even though it had been offered to me several times across, you know, um, the decades, it's never been something that I've wanted to do. Uh, however, for the people who who do want to go down that down that sort of covers path, they don't need to have um, a particularly signature, unique, identifiable sound their gig actually is to be quite generic. So it depends, it really depends. It, whereas the people who have artists literally stamped on their forehead mm. and they want to make a unique contribution to the world and thank goodness, you know, for, for the artists that we have, um, they they have a vested interest in, in having that and developing that signature sound. Right. So it really depends on on the person and what their own brief is. But just getting back to the to what I was kind of um, saying before about people early in their career may not necessarily have that security yet in their in themselves and their uniqueness. And sometimes they feel perhaps the pressure to borrow strength from somebody who's already made it, someone who's proved their metal. I mean, M-E, double T, L-E, not M-E. Yes, I understand, yes. Right. That's right. Because I know you do teach, I, I, I know do, you coach I, I, a I lot do, of heavy metal people. I, I do, so I just, I just wanted to kind of clarify yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, that's probably where I, I come across that more often, that the people who are trying to make it, who are trying to get noticed, they feel perhaps a pressure to mm. go with the tried and true kind of sound. Mm instead of trying to turn an ostrich into an elephant, you should develop to be the best ostrich you can possibly be. Yeah. Without I, mean, stick, I, I say that without sticking my neck like, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now the other, the other analogy where, you know, the fish is looking at a tree and, you know, um, uh, like, should it feel bad for the fact that it can't fly up to the tree branches? It's like, but it's a fish. So, you know, it's all about, you know, us knowing where where we operate best where we need to be where we're going to flourish yeah and if he stays in the water right. at least he'll get paid scale oh god oh i missed your jokes richard so let me ask this question somebody comes to you and they say they do want to sound like x now what's interesting for me is that you say that each singer has their own unique vocal imprint and it's absolutely yeah. true but also what i love about you is that you understand what you have to do in order to make your voice sound like x in other words yeah. let me ask this question what specific technique would you say a singer would need to sound like ella fitzgerald for instance like ella i mean god literally again one of the best singers that's ever graced this earth that's right and and we share a birthday, just saying. Oh, how nice. Yeah. nice. Yes. Um, and, and she's, you know, literally one of my my, my favourite singers on the planet. Um, you, Ella's actual sound, it's just very, very smooth. Exactly. And very, and very consistent from mm -hmm. one end of her range to the other. The fact that she has such a wide range, 
So you would need to be working on smoothing out the lot, consistency and extending your range so that it is absolutely accessible, agile, flexible and ridiculously musical and accurate. Absolutely. With, and with, in, with incredible ideas to boot. I mean, the, the, the fact that, I mean, her level of creativity yes. was off the chart. It seemingly felt to me when I listened to her that her voice is almost limitless. We know that that's not possible. She's a human being, right? But it was so responsive. Her technique was so perfect that anything that her creative mind went to do, her voice seemed capable of actually going there. Indeed. But let me, let me, I mean, obviously the musicality of it is a whole different kettle yeah. of fish since you're talking yeah. about fish. Yeah. But, but I, but I, not talking I'm, about fish because it's near near dinner time here and yes, I'm well, I'll don't worry, we'll finish soon. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Okay, that but let, let me just ask about this. Let's let's ignore her incredible chops, musical chops, yeah. and yeah. improvisation chops, and and yeah. her phrasing, which is just so okay. beautiful yeah. and musical. But yeah. let's talk about the sound. The actual yeah. vocal sound. Now, give me an example of what you would say to female singers, obviously, uh, to achieve that consistency that you talked about and the consistency in the different ranges. Because it's something that I noticed very early on about your voice is that you can produce the same sound and the same volume, mind you, for the microphone, because you're such a genius in the studio, if you're low or middle or high, it's the same, you know, it hits the needle at the same point, because it's almost as if you've got your own compressor in your, yeah. in your voice. But how do you practice that? Give me an exercise that you could give to people to, to achieve that consistency of tone. In, in my case, it has been honed over decades in the studio because I record every day pretty much. Right. So the, you know, the studio is my more um, you know, familiar performing environment. So I've learnt to kind of you know, have that consistency, that kind of internal com compression effect um, just so I don't have to create such hard work for um, any of the producers that I work with. Yes, or but, your poor um, husband. For my yes, who these days is doing probably you know a lot more of my production than than anybody else. Uh, a, a typical kind of smoothing out sort of exercise is right. actually portamentos, because the 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 voice shares the pitch continuum capacity with uh, alongside the swanny whistle, the yes. trombone, the string family. Yeah, yes. we uh, we are the only instruments that can do all pitch, right? right. Now, obviously, uh, the uh, the guitar, being a string instrument, of course, um, can yes. slide, yes. right? Yeah. Um, piano can't. No. Because we have this pitch continuum capacity, 
it is a very useful exercise to do portamento or, or what we actually more accurate, accurately describe as siren exercises because okay. of the fact that they they smooth the the, the muscular kind of um, right. coordination out. Okay. Would you like me to demonstrate? One? I would very much like you to demonstrate. Thank yeah. you, Kimmy. They're, they're not particularly pretty, but they are functional because the okay. portamento exercises are not musically satisfying. They they're there to build smoothness. The muscles of your actual and, vocal and, cords, yeah, right? The, the, that's it. The coordination, the stretch, you know, how that all kind of works. So I hope I do a good one. Here we go. It just needs to be nice and fluid and responsive. Let me ask you, do, is it necessary to roll your tongue like no, that? That, that? That's just one uh, of what's called the semi-occluded vocal tract family of exercises which are beautifully balanced um, in, in all sorts of regards, but most particularly like air pressure balance. They give you, they give your voice the best conditions by which to operate. But what so if you can't do that rolling? Actually, there's quite a few people who can't. So fortunately there, there, are, there are loads and loads of other ones such as the literal version. Oh, I see. You, you can do a, which is very attractive, uh, or but but it's all of these things are meant to offer. Thank you, I like that one. Uh, yeah, raspberry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People do that when yeah, they hear my that one's, that one's hilarious because it literally puts spit all over the screen. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, tell me this: is the purpose of that of those different things? The purpose is to provide kind of a a barrier to to hold in the sound, is yeah. that the idea? Effectively, if you look at what semi-occluded would mean, sort of what? partially blocked, right. semi-occluded vocal tract, the vocal tract yeah. is the area from the lips to the larynx, yes. and it creates this favorable back pressure that gives the vocal cords the perfect conditions by which right. to vibrate. Okay. Okay. Which is why yeah. which is why we do these crazy ass sounds for yeah. warm ups, for cool downs. Um, right. I mean, you know, why else would we do such ugly sounding and right. looking things unless the voice loved it? Right. And tell me this: uh, in terms of range, you you talked about obviously Ella had a ridiculous range, and yeah. and some singers do have a ridiculous, but. What interests me very much is singers who can sing full voice yeah. in way high or way low, and it doesn't matter. Now, I had the great experience, which you can hear on Radio Richard, my interview with Michael McDonald. I'm sure you have heard it. But, who? who? Uh, oh, that guy. So, so. The, oh, he, one of my favorite, favorite ever all-time artists that yes. you, you, Mr. Richard, gave yeah. me the honor and privilege of, of doing background vocals with, and that I will never, ever forget that. I well, will, what I, a fun, I, what I a fun indebted, night that was. I, I, I shall be indebted for the rest of my life on that well, one. Well, the, the indebtedness is mutual. But here's the thing I was saying. I got to do an interview with him where I sat right next to him on the piano bench you know, I, I, he was on my wow. right. I'm sitting here and he's showing heaven. me. He's that is showing, the seed of heaven. Yeah, it was the seed of heaven. And and he was playing the piano 
and I was listening to him sing, obviously, and he's showing me how he accompanied himself in different ways. Yeah. But, but listening to his voice, I noticed that whether he was singing in his typical Michael McDonald high sound with the eyebrows, you know, that, that yeah. sound, and yeah. or low, the yeah. volume was exactly the same, and it was very soft. Now, that yeah. amazed me. I mean, he doesn't amazing. sing that loud. It's not yeah. loudness. It's it's yeah. just so. Uh, yeah, uh, and again, a very, very, very accomplished and experienced studio singer. So, unsurprising that that consistency is kind of there again. But I think with, in Michael's case specifically, what interests me as a vocal mechanic uh, in, in in inverted commas is how high he can sing where he doesn't sound like he's singing that high because he has such a tubular bottom endy sound in his tone, tonal balance, that it's a bit uh, misleading when you try to sing along with it you, is, is actually when you realise how high he's singing because that lowered larynx position that he sings with hmm. gives the illusion that it's in fact lower than it is. Yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. But tell yeah. me this. There's a certain sound that he gets, which I I call a kind of a covered sound. It's, it as, covered, if, yeah. it's as if the sound is just bathed in a in a uh, covering of a beautiful, warm uh, yeah. treacle or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a sort of yeah. it's a soft thing. And how does he do that? What what has to happen in the larynx to, to do yeah. that? Well, as, as I was just saying then, he's one of the few uh, pop singers, um, the term used in its most yes, of course, wide of term, he is one, one of the few that sings with a, what sounds to me, like a lowered larynx. So his, his larynx sits a little lower in his throat, which lengthens the vocal tract that I was referring to before, which is the tube um, within which everything resonates and we get our natural EQ, yes. our natural balance of treble and bass and mids and things right. before it goes into any microphone because you were sitting right. there listening to him acoustically, right? So he has his own natural balanced EQ. We all do. Before anything else can kind of mess with the EQ electronically, we have our own internal balance anyway. Sure. So uh, if you want me to demo... I do. I do want you to demonstrate. Yeah. So the larynx position is a real game changer. You don't have to move it much inside the throat for there to be a, a rather marked net effect on the tone, right? Show so, it, Amy. Uh, so I, I, I shall. Uh, I, I, here's a piano right beside me. I realize you can't see it, but. No, um, that's not either. If, if I was to do um, my natural larynx position, looking out on the morning rain, that's where mine naturally sits without me right, messing right. with it. I used to feel so uninspired. So that that's my natural one. It sounds quite like my speaking voice is yes, no big mismatch. So would you like me to go raised larynx or lowered larynx first? Raised, raised. Raised, okay. Looking out on the morning rain, right. I used to feel so uninspired. Lowered. Looking out on the morning rain, I used to feel so uninspired. Sorry, when yeah. I'm slightly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. But um, that was that was a beautiful demonstration. Uh, so, so Michael McDonald obviously is the lowered. 
that it's the same pitch, but it gives the illusion. Because I haven't changed the key, right? Obviously, I haven't. But it gives the illusion when I sing with a raised larynx that the mm-hmm. whole thing has gone up, mm-hmm. right? So how so how would you show somebody? How would you show somebody how to do that? How how do you? How would you explain? How do you manipulate the larynx position? Yeah, the, tell the, the larynx, which is the you know the cartilage box that we call the voice box as well. The the larynx is the house in which the vocal cords live, right? Just so you understand, it can move up and down inside the throat. Yes. So when you swallow, it goes up. When you yawn, it goes down. So ah. it, it is it is quite mobile. It's right. got several muscles that lift it up, several muscles that pull it down. And depending on what you need the larynx to do in any given time, the, that pulley system <laughs> is in right. place. Right. So the lowered larynx is, is kind of more feeling like you're sending your larynx to the basement. Right. The raised larynx is sending it up to the top floor. Yes. As if it was an elevator. But right? is this something you and, could teach somebody how to do, actually do it? Uh, well, with experimentation, yeah. If, if you kind of show them, you know, what is happening when they swallow and you can feel it going up and, and you know, when they yawn, they feel it go down. It's like, oh, right, I do actually have some some conscious control over this. But that said, it's not something that I like to manipulate much, even though I've, I've just demonstrated for you how that can work. Beautifully. Um, voices generally operate best in neutral larynx position. That's where you're, where um, people who speak with a normal speaking voice. I'm not talking about a really weird speaking voice. Or a really weird speaking voice, but right. somewhere right. somewhere in the middle, right? The reason it gravitates to where it does for normal speaking is because that's where it's most comfortable. That's where the larynx, larynx is happy to be. That's yeah. where it functions best. That's where you get the, the most natural balance of EQ <clears throat> for you mm-hmm. as a pop singer. Uh, in the classical tradition, they actually do want you to have a a relaxedly lowered larynx position because right. they want that tubular sound as yeah. part of the aesthetic of classical singing. However, as pop singers, we want to sound as natural as possible generally. Right. Uh, it's more naturalistic. And so as a result of that, the larynx position just being kind of where you speak. Right. I find generally is the best position for most people. Okay. But, so, but if you're a character voice artist, you're going to be uh, manipulating your your larynx position probably quite routinely. Indeed, indeed. Well, yeah. let me. I'm now going to ask you about another type of singer, and if somebody said, "I'd like to sing like Janis Joplin," fine. That's a whole different yeah. world, and yeah. and it's all yeah. that rasp, that crackling, that that yeah. sound. Hey! Exactly. Yes, now, how did you do that? Yeah. Um, practice. Um, and, and I'm very pleased to say that um, it wasn't something that I could do until about, God, um, 12 years ago or thereabouts is when I started going, actually, yep, I think I can do this. Because you probably haven't really heard me do much rock distortion or rock. Only a little bit. There you go. So it never was something that I thought I could do, that I, I, I thought I was Miss Clean Voice and that was my lot in life and I right. had kind of accepted that. Um, but then I met a wonderful Danish colleague called Catherine Sadelin of complete vocal technique fame. 
her whole institute and that method is all based in Copenhagen. Oh. I actually had the privilege of proofreading the second edition of the English edition of, of her book. But she was the first person to ever tell me, and it blew my mind at the time, that anyone, any singer, even classical singers, opera singers, folk singers, right. anyone can learn how to do vocal distortion. And right. I went, that cannot be true. Uh, 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 you know, surely it's just people like Janis Joplin or Brian Adams or, right, you know, right. Bon Jovi or whoever, uh, Rod, Rod Stewart, you know, yes, uh, bon, yes, Bonnie yes. Tyler, right? Yes, so these, yes. uh, uh, Kim Carnes, you yes. know, these are just voices that are born like that. They they are just lucky people that have that grit and, and you know, good on them. You know, but yeah. for people like me, Miss Clean Voice, no, no can do. And she said, yeah. no, you're wrong. It is just a technique that anybody can learn. Right. <laughs> so it was only when I actually started experimenting with it, having given, been given the permission from her yes. and you know, the, the knowledge that it could be done. I thought, okay, yeah. well, I'm going to put this to the test. And lo and behold, she was right. Could you show me the very basic uh, sort of things that you would tell a student to say, okay, the first thing you've got to do is X. Well, yeah. How would they, okay, nuts well, and well, bolts? The very first thing that I will say to anybody that wants to do vocal distortion is that you already need to have a robust vocal technique that's reliable and stable and consistent. Anything that's not quite right, um, something as hardcore as adding grit and distortion could be enough to kind of, you know, um, upset the apple cart, shall we say. Right. I, I, sometimes if someone's really, really never gone there before, we'll start with something super duper light and easy like Creek, which is uh, wow. just so they can actually hear themselves doing a voice that's pitchless, mostly right. pitchless. It's actually very, very low pitch, but... <clears throat> We might do something like this. It, it, it's like, the same as vocal fry, is it not? It's exactly the same. And pulse register and strobas, right? right? So they, they're all various names yeah. in different sources for the same thing. Say we took like Aerosmith's um, Walk This Way. We might do Walk This Way, Talk right? This Way. Just walk so they get used to actually hearing their voice relatively yeah. pitchless. Right. And it's so easy, it's light, it doesn't kind of freak anybody out, but it's not particularly useful for projection, shall we say, right, to right. go out trying to sound like Elmer Fudd, right? right. <laughs> but as a, as a starting point to get people kind of, you know, initiated into this type of thing, then I'd be a, it's not a bad place to start. And then do you so, add note to no, it? No, no, not that one, not that particular one, but how how you could is you can, you can use Creek as an onset and an offset like Britney does. Uh, oh, baby, baby. Right. That type of thing, right? right? Um, you know, en Enrique Iglesias is another one that loves being creaky. Um, so, you know, creakiness is, 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 you know, useful, but just not particularly useful as a long-term distortion kind of um, okay. yes. uh, strategy. No. Yeah. no, it's an affectation that a lot of singers use today. That's it. But I, I just use it as an arrowhead to say, okay, this is what you sound like relatively pitchless. 
So then some other, uh, I use a lot of playful things like childhood sounds and stuff. So if we go into growl, say, rah, I might say to, to people, let's have a bit of fun. Let's not be so adult right now. And let's pretend to be a motorbike. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Nice. Or you know, let's pretend to be a tiger. Rah! Or, you know, let's pretend <laughs> to be a dive bombing plane. You know, and or you know, a, a racing car or whatever. And right. you know, it, most adults as kids probably made these noises, right? right. So, right. If, even though we know, thanks to Catherine's research on hundreds of people with cameras down there, their their noses looking at what their voices are doing, we know functionally that the arytenoid cartilages are drumming against the epiglottis. Thanks to her. That doesn't help you one jot to make the sound. Just because you know that that's actually the uh, how it's being done, we don't have much conscious control over those structures. Right. So it's kind of, you know, just an easier road to go the imitative route. Right. So anyway, that's that's growl. Then you've got a really cute one, which is uh, rattle. Rattle. Which is, <sighs> it's actually where where spit becomes uh, an ally right the, the flemmier the better right um imagine that you're a cat like ejecting a fur ball oh i see right so by, wow. the, by the time you actually add it to a note uh-huh it's it, it's surprisingly easy because yeah. it, because it's actually the uvula the right. little dangly bit, that's, which is quite a way away from your vocal cords. It's actually the uvula that, that's um, that's drumming. Yes, but tell me, when you're doing that, how do you yeah. avoid harming yourself? Because it sounds like... You... I know it sounds like I am, but, but as I just said, those structures are so far from each other. Where my vocal cords are, which is right safely housed inside my larynx, versus where my uvula is, that's quite a distance. I see, I see. Right? Okay. So... <laughs> It sounds like it's it's crazy and you know demonic or or whatever, okay. and 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 damaging, but right. it's an illusion. It really, really isn't. So where you'll hear a gorgeous example of rattle is the opening note of Stevie Wonder's um, "Science Hill Delivered," where he goes, ah, "Oh yeah, baby!" Right? He's right. got that. And that's a, a really great example of, of filthy old rattle. Uh, then you've got grunt. And grunt is really the kind of death metal-y sort of sound. Right. <gasps> that, that type of thing where everything, everything's kind of flapping in the wind on that one. So right. it's, it's fairly fringe, so I'm not going to probably go much more into that one. Uh, and then the final one for today is is actual distortion, which is the false vocal folds, which are some structures that live just above the, the, the actual vocal cords, what we call the true vocal vocal cords or vocal folds. That's the one that I started with. Right. Hey, 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 that, that one that's, you know, just got, that, that's quite gritty. It's kind of rocky gritty. It sure and, is. Yeah. And that's the one that personally I find is easiest to get wrong because the, the structures are so close to the true vocal folds. Right. So that, that one kind of requires the most work to get comfortable and accessible and repeatable right. and sustainable without it actually kind of making you cough or upset your voice in some right. way. 
but you can see that I can do it and you know there's no vocal trauma if there was vocal trauma I'd be coughing clearing my throat there'd be there'd be some no, evidence sure. of the fact but, that that's actually but tell me this it, let's let's just say the other side of the coin let's say a singer comes to you and they say Kim I've got vocal trauma what mm -hmm. do I do so 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 they say I'm I'm going I've got I've got a set of gigs I've got to yeah. do my voice is already tired what am I going to do help me Kim what do you say to them Yes well uh, welcome welcome to a fair amount of the work that I do these Indeed. days because That's why um, I asked Yeah um uh, anyone who deals <clears throat> with people making a living out of their voice all the way from the professional singer through to the uh, arena filling artist um, they all deal with this quite routinely because, you know, when people are out on tour, the tour schedules can be absolutely punishing. Um, a run of gigs for even a, a gigging singer doing a show can be punishing, you know. And so the, the tired voice, the overused voice phenomenon is a very, very real thing. I can't actually give you specifics because the antidote, as it were, is specific to exactly that person's voice, the type of gig they've got to do, the level of fatigue, or are they actually tipping into vocal injury territory? All of that matters as to how you deal with it. So quite routinely, I am working with uh, the, the team. So ENT doctors, speech therapists, singing rehab coaches, and myself in that role, I'm called a habilitation coach. So what a habilitation coach is, I'm generally the per if someone is injured and 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 is kind of getting the voice back online again, I'm the last port of call. So say they go to, to ENT first. If the ENT or ear, nose and throat surgeon has to do something, they do something. If they don't, they move them on to the next stage, which is the speech therapist. So then the speech therapist works with the with the, all all the muscles and vocal function. Uh, if they are a singer, quite often a singing rehab coach will come in at, at that point as well. And where I come in is when they're brought back to baseline health and they need to rebuild athletically to get back to athletic voice usage where they've got to be able to sing hours a night without losing their voice. That's what I help them with. Yeah. So uh, that's, um, you know, generally entails things like physical conditioning, where they've got to do a requisite amount of cardio and core core strength work, um, yeah. uh, flexibility in their body, and right. daily daily voice building, that daily voice gym stuff, which is where my funky and fun exercises right. come in. Yes, my, let me just stop you right there because those funky and fun exercises, I have to give you an extra plug right now because they're just so fabulous. <laughs> Thank they're, you. Yes, Thank they you, are. And everyone should have it. But, but what the point of them is, the way I've designed them, is to be the, the kind of, uh, from my standpoint, ideal mixture of a range of technique building exercises like different uh, machines at the gym. Like we take our whole body into a gym, mm. but each machine has a focus. And that's really what vocal exercises are like. Each, each, you're taking your whole voice to to the vocal practice or to voice gym but each exercise has a focus and so that's why it's so important to do a range of things mm. so that you're watering the whole vocal garden as it were oh, not just 
not just your favorite bit. Oh, nice. Know, right? <laughs> and musicianship, which, which to me, there's no point to the whole thing unless the ears are also getting the same amount of attention as the voices. Can you give me an example in your enormous experience? Who was the most difficult student that you had? You don't even have to mention their name if you don't want to, who had a problem that you had a hard time actually solving? There's, there's really only one that's coming to mind because it actually came up today, believe it or not. There was a lovely, lovely girl who came to me in London many years ago. This has got to be at least 15 years ago. She's not the sort of um, client I would take on now because I only coach the professional and signed artist end. She came along highly motivated, highly dedicated, very enthusiastic, but literally completely pitch impaired and timing impaired. Ooh. She could not sing a note in tune and she couldn't even clap along to a song in time when she wasn't singing. Mm. Right. So not even, you know, not even distracted by singing. I just said, could, can you clap along with this song? No, she couldn't. Right. Oh, so I thought, Whoa, okay. This is, re this is really going to, to, to test me and, and, you know, uh, and what can be done. And I had no idea whether either of these two things could be adequately addressed, but I was, I just said to her, look, let's try, let's do our best. Let's see, let, let's see where we, where we end up. So I didn't make her any empty promises or anything like that, that you're going to be a star darling in a year, you know, I mean, I've seen ridiculous things like, um, oh, something I read somewhere where um, some vocal coach was claiming um, from beginner to professional in 10 lessons. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. From beginner to professional in 10 hours. And it's yeah. like, oh, how are you defining professional love? They're just miss selling how a developmental skill works. It cannot right. be fast tracked. It just takes how long it takes. Right. Because yes. there's muscles involved and muscles don't develop high levels of coordination quickly. It just doesn't right. work that way. Um, so anyway, uh, back to this lovely girl. Um, so first thing I, I, I said, we're going to put the lessons on hold whilst I send you for drum lessons. So I was teaching a vocal tech at the time and I knew the drum tech, which was the associated, you know, drum, uh, college. Yes. Um, she loved it. I think she actually kept up with it in the end. She loved it so much, but what it did is it, it showed her where the heartbeat of music is. She couldn't ignore it when she was having to lay it down herself physically, which is what I was hoping that it would do. And it did it beautifully and did it quickly. Mm. So then she came back. Then it's my job to deal with the pitch side. Woo. And I thought, okay, hold on to your hat, honey. Here we go. Um, so how I decided to tackle this was where can you sing? sing me the range of notes that come out of your your voice now accurately because she she didn't grow up with a piano or a guitar or anything like that so there's no point me playing her you know notes on the piano and trying to get her to, to pitch it oh no 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 because it's not a familiar sound to her right no. so i wanted to go with what she could do uh -huh. rather than demoralizing her potentially with what she couldn't do right okay. so what can you do sing me let's let me define for you the range of notes you currently can reproduce 
So I matched her, not the other way around, right? So, so we did that for a while and then I was able to use that core of vocal range that she could control and just develop it from there outwards, outwards, outwards. And I'm very pleased to say that within three years, and I didn't teach her the whole time through that three years, it was sporadic, oh. Oh. she wanted to, um, to go through the grading system. That was important for her. It certainly wasn't something that I was used to doing, but she right. said, I want to do, I, I, I want hit points. Right. I, I want achievement, quantifiable achievement right. of, of various stages that I'm at. I want a goal to work towards. Right. Great, let's do it. So she did the pop grades for London College of Music. Right. And with right. no word of a lie, she got to grade eight within three years. Fantastic. Now tell me this, when you t when you asked her that first question, what can you do? Yeah. Tell me what she could what she could do then that you said, well, at least there's a basis to build on. Yeah, she she was able to sing a probably Oh God, this is a while ago, but my memory is it was maybe around an octave or so. Right, but what did she sing for us? Could she could she sing a bit of a song in one octave? Yeah, or? yeah. just I just said, sing me whatever you can sing. And, and was it in tune with herself? I mean, she wasn't singing no. to. Oh, oh, as in the in the intervals from from note to note? No. Um, but what what I was not only. Not only, not only was she out of key, meaning she couldn't stick to a key. Yeah. The, the intervallic side, which is out of tune, the tune yeah, being messed yeah, up, yeah, yeah. was also the case, right? Wow. So she actually had both, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but it was only through lack of familiarity. She hadn't grown up with it. It just wasn't part of her family culture or whatever. Right. And it was just total lack of familiarity. So by the time she became more and more and more familiar with it and yeah. worked her butt off, that yeah. was very much part of the success of this story, right, right, how hard right. she worked. I, I didn't know whether it could be done or not. Well, she, she taught me so much about what actual grit and determination will get right. you. Fantastic story, Kim. And, yeah. and something which I've always thought, you know, you really, really can't teach being in time and in tune, but that story has actually changed my mind. But you need to add to it that grit and determination. And it didn't take 10 years. Yeah. The fact that it only took three was astonishing right. to me. Well, Absolutely that's, that's just an incredible story, Kim. And, and uh, do you think yeah. that the real reason why you're able to do just about anything is because you're Australian? Do you think that's the reason? <laughs> no. Oh, no, I, mean, yeah. I know. I know Aussies very much have a can-do attitude. Yes, Definitely. they do. Yeah, they do. But, but no, no, I don't. I don't think that's particularly relevant. Okay. Well, four percent of the population has congenital amusia. Yes. Well, and, I, I love when you say which, that. Which is which is the uh, medical term for tone deafness. Mm. So that means that there's a neurological impasse yeah really the only way i can describe it where yeah. they don't it's they literally cannot process pitch properly right. so it's not it's not an ear thing it's not a voice thing it's an, a neurological impairment quite often the strategy most people go to is you know can you match this note la la yeah. Yeah. that's here have a listen 
right? And and this requirement for the pitch impaired person right. to match a note on an instrument on an instrument they're not even familiar with the sound of. Right. And a smaller uh, example of that, I once had to do a jingle with an actor who was a very nice, charming guy, but he was completely tone deaf. He couldn't, and he, I had to get him to sing a commercial. Oh, and, wow. and that was my job. And so I knew I had three hours in the studio with this guy. So the technique that I invented sort of right there on the spot, because I had no idea that the guy couldn't sing. I didn't right. realize that he couldn't sing at all. And, so, and this presumably the days before auto-tune, Melodyne, blah, blah, oh, blah. Way before that, way before that. I said to the guy, I'll tell you what, because he re I realized, you know, in the first three minutes that he could not tell the difference between one note and another. But what I'd had him do was I had him, because the backing track was already recorded. Yeah. So, so I said to him, here's what I'd like you to do. And I had him do the portamento thing. I went, okay. and, and, I, and when he got to a certain point that was the note of the piece, because like, what's I said, I said, stop there. And I said, now I want you to, don't think about the note. Think about how it feels in your throat to sing yeah. there. Now do yeah. it again. Yeah. And tell me when you get to it. Yeah. And he said, he was near it. And I did that for about 10 minutes. And he finally got to that pitch. And purely by the feel in his throat, how it yeah. felt in his head. And yeah. then we started the song and we recorded maybe the first four words. Then I yeah. stopped, I, I worked on the next four, but I did it all through the sliding technique. Yep, yep, yep. That, so that that would also presuppose that he had pretty good kinesthetic awareness. So meaning that his his he was able to, to feel it. Um, I, I've got a number of clients who don't feel anything. Well, he was an actor, you see, so so he right. was used to using his voice and a very fine actor. Yeah. So, you know, I, I actually asked him, I said, do a Shakespearean voice, now do a little kid's voice. Now, and he could yeah. do that perfectly. So yes. he knew how yeah. things felt in his throat. There you go. So the the kinesthetic awareness is what you were able to to use. So it, yet, yet again, that's another thing that, that it, it's good to be aware of in working with anybody is are they visually oriented? So therefore, you've got to kind of show them stuff. Are yeah. they ear oriented? So you've got to, they've got to hear it yeah. and do it by sound or feeling or any combination of those three. Yes, yes. Well, yep. as I say, Kim, this has just been fantastic and wonderful. And I am going to to bring it to a close. I know, so you can get I know we could talk all day, couldn't we? I know we, we could. I, and I every possible topic. I know. I love doing this, and but you can it's get solve the world. We could solve <laughs> the world's ills. I'm just really happy. I want to thank you for for doing this, and I hope we can do this again because I'm sure that my listeners are going to be knocked out at this amazing masterclass that you've done in the whole world of singing, vocals, and being fabulous. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, it's 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 always a pleasure to to talk to you as one of my mentors over the years, and also also colleague. I mean, for God's sake, how long is it now? It's got to be over. It's it's more than twenty years, Richard. Yes, yes, it is it more is. than that. And yeah. and we were also teachers together at that same school. I'm just we looking. were. Yes, because I because oh, yes. I hired you. Remember? That's right, you did, and that was I very did. good of you. Thank you. 
for that. Yes. And 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 Kim's work is featured in this wonderful book, which was the Banzilla songbook from the album Banzilla, which you can all get. And you can hear Kim just doing impossible stuff over and over again to the point where the engineer who was mixing it said, oh, you've already auto-tuned all these vocals. And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, yeah. well, that's impossible. And I said, no, it's not impossible. It's Kim Chandler. <laughs> so, and also the book behind you. And the book behind me, Adventures yeah. in Arranging, where yeah. Kim has a nice page in this book. Um, it's all the techniques that I've used over the many years uh, on uh, arranging for pop records and other kinds of fun things. And uh, Kim did a very nice page in the book for me about vocules. Yes, that is true. So yeah. if people if people want to find me anywhere, it's uh, my main website, which is hideously out of date now because I'm just too busy to update it. That is the reality. Yes. Uh, www.kimchandler.com. That's right. Yes. Kimchandler.com. Yes. Okay. So okay. It's, it's across the screen right now. Yeah. Good. Uh, funkyandfun.com. So F-U-N-K-Y-N-F-U-N.com for yeah. my wonderful vocal exercises. Oh, yeah. You've got to get those vocal which exercises. Will kick your ass. They will kick your ass. Okay. Uh, and uh, my online recording service is virtualvocals.com. Very nice. And we all love it. And, and anybody who doesn't take advantage of Kim's expertise and fun and funkiness is crazy. <laughs> so, so do that. And, and thank you for being on Radio Richard, the greatest interviews you'll ever hear on music and the greatest music you'll ever hear on interviews. Thank you. Bye. Richard Niles on the radio, on the radio jacket.